Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Real Talks. I'm your host, David Steele, and I want to welcome back my co-host, Iloa Orism. Just a friendly reminder, if you like what you're hearing, you can follow us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Just search Real Talks. That's R-E-E-L Talks, just like my name, S-T-E-E-L-E. Also, you can follow us on social media. I'm on Twitter and want to be rounder. LinkedIn, and on Instagram at dkadudo. Where can they find you, Willow? They can find me either on LinkedIn or on Instagram. Either way, it's you can just type my name. I'm the only one there. That's E-L-O-A-O-R-A-Z-E-M. Just a couple of quick announcements. Our Patreon channel is now live. You can find it by typing Real Talks into the search bar. Let me tell you a little about it. We're offering five different levels to support us at. $5, $10, $20, $30, and $40. If you do choose to support us, you'll have the opportunity to get some great perks, such as your name shouted out before every podcast, cool merch, and if you're one of our major contributors, you'll get a one-hour monthly Zoom meeting with Illua and myself. For more details, just go to the website. I'll leave the link in the description, which leads me into my next big announcement. Flashback Fridays are now underway, and we're a few weeks in. This is where Ann Cargard and myself will be discussing films from the past. The last film we talked about was Iron Man 2. And then we're going to be doing every single MCU movie in chronological order. Stay tuned for this week's episode where, where we will be talking about Thor. I can't reiterate enough. Hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. So this is our weekly roundup show where we will be talking about major stories that broke during the week. Our topics will include more layoffs for Netflix... I'll tell you how many coming up. Ocean's Eleven is getting another reboot. I'll tell you who's on tap to star in this version. John Watts is heading to a galaxy far, far away. I'll tell you what's up next for him. And finally, can Tom Cruise can really pick up a phone and get a movie made? I'll tell you the story behind that. And our first story is about Netflix and their freefall. Netflix lays off an estimated 150 staffers in a new round of cuts. This comes from The Hollywood Reporter. Netflix is laying off approximately 150 employees across the company, according to an internal memo sent Tuesday and obtained by The Hollywood Reporter. The layoffs represent 2% of the streamer's total workforce, with most of the cuts happening in the United States. Netflix is also making changes to its animation division, resulting in the elimination of 70 roles in that unit as well as reducing contractor roles in its social media and publishing channels. Impacted employees are expected to receive severance starting at four months, though that time period could increase depending on the staffer's position and how long they've been with the company. As we explained on our earnings call, our slowing revenue growth means we are also having to slow our cost growth as a company, a Netflix spokesperson said. So sadly, we're letting around 150 employees go today, mostly United States-based. These changes are primarily driven by business rather than individual performance, which makes them especially tough as none of them want to say goodbye to such great colleagues. We're working hard to support them through this difficult time. The new round of cuts come less than a month after multiple full-time staff and contractors in Netflix editorial and marketing department were laid off. In April, during its first quarter earnings announcement, Netflix revealed that it lost 200,000 subscribers in the quarter, and it is expected to lose an additional $2 million during the second quarter. As a result of the declining growth, Netflix is planning to launch a cheaper, ad-supported tier and will begin, quote, pulling back 
end quote. It's spending to maintain its margins, though the streamer is expected to spend $17 billion content. We're pulling back on some of our spend growth across both content and non-contact spend, CFO Spencer Newman said last month during the earnings call. We're trying to be smart about this and prudent in terms of pulling back on some of the spend growth to reflect of the realities of the revenue growth of the business. So, first of all, that's a shame that they're losing their jobs. 150 people are now going to be out of work because of this. I was actually watching, I was just happened to click on Netflix's stock the other day, and it was dropping like a rock. It dropped like 7%. Dropped, I don't know, like $100, $150. At the start of the year, it was at $600. Today, when I last saw it, it was at 175 So it's got lost a lot of market growth. But my question is, you're telling me they couldn't save 150 jobs and they're spending $17 billion on content? Really? I mean, I understand content is expensive. I understand shows are expensive to make. But you got to understand something. This isn't like they are making brand new shows and putting them on their platform. Some of the original ones, like The Queen's Gambit and, you know, some others, fine. But these are all syndicated shows. So that's what blows my mind. And you're paying $17 billion for this and you can't save 150 jobs? What does that tell you about that company? I feel like it's a company that doesn't have a heart like any other company, actually. But honestly, I feel like maybe the logic is we cannot cut on. I mean, you cut fat, you don't cut. Flesh, that's what we say in Brazil, at least. So you cut access, you don't cut what you need to survive. So if you need content to survive, then you scrape somewhere else. Okay. Now, on that premise, then, if you're cutting that many jobs to save money so you can actually spend on content, would you want, if you're a Netflix subscriber and you're, let's say, a higher tier Netflix subscriber, would you want better content then? I not want, I suppose the word is expect. Would you expect better content then? And would you expect these good shows that you love I, to actually continue more than a few years? We just have to make a distinction here. Netflix is not saying they are going to invest more in content. What they said is, well, we're having a problem here, guys, with revenue. We need to cut you know, excess, not necessarily invest more. So this is an important distinctions to make. So it doesn't mean they're going to put more money into content. It means that they're trying to take more money going from elsewhere that is not content. Basically, they're saying, let me stop the bleeding before having to cut down content. So before cutting down content, I'm going to cut down in, in the office. Maybe I can save. The thing is, cutting down 150 jobs, is it enough to stop the bleeding? I don't think so. I think it's, I honestly think, in my opinion, they should do. But then again, I'm not a business woman, but this is my briefly unsolicited opinion. It is. If you are suffering and your product is content, then do a better job with putting maybe less money into content, but better content. So be more assertive instead of spending all this money and have all whatever show. Like maybe you're spending too much money having old TV shows just because you don't have kind of your your rival to have access to it, you know, maybe you don't need that. Just do something different, do something better. So anyway, all this monologue to tell you that, yeah, it's an important decision. Netflix, yeah, of course, I'm always as a member, as a 
as a user, a Netflix, you know, paid customer, I would love for them to get better content. But Netflix is not saying they're going to put more money into content. Yeah, I agree with that. And by the way, business is one of those things where it's extremely hard to juggle because you're juggling personnel. In this case, you're juggling content, you're juggling rights for content, you're juggling. And I completely understand that. I guess my problem is the number, right? Because you have all of this over here. It's like a scale. You have all of this stuff up here and the, the jobs are down here and you can't take a million dollars from that. I mean, hypothetically speaking, of course, you can't take a million dollars of that. And I would totally agree with you on that other point. If there's a show that's out there, let's say Friends or The Office or something like that, and you don't want an HBO Max or a Paramount or whomever to get it, let it go. You have so much on there as it is that if you lose it, it's not the end of the world. So we're both in our business people. We don't know what the internal going on is. But for if you read further on, and I didn't go that far into the article, but the internal memo actually said that, let me actually read it. So there was a culture-wide memo that was sent out. And because of that, last week, Netflix also released an updated company-wide culture memo to include, among other changes, a directive for employees to, quote, spend other are members' money wisely, end quote. Though executives have similarly used that phrasing before, the inclusion of that line in the culture memo is a marked for a company once known for its lavish spending. So basically what they're saying is we, we're trying to have our money spended wisely, but it's a dicey situation. And this is going to continue to freefall. And you said it exactly right. They need to stop the bleeding now. And I honestly, I don't think the bleeding is going to stop until this lawsuit is completely behind them. Because this is going to be that dark cloud hanging over them. Because as long as they have this dark cloud, it's going to, people are going to want to leave. Can you imagine? And if this is true, they're in deep trouble. If they lose another 2 million subscribers in Q2, that's huge. Huge. Because let's face it, that money that they get from you, the subscriber, is what they pay for for the content. Now, to be continued. So, next is... So, let me ask you this question. You've seen Ocean's Eleven, I imagine, right? The old... It's about 20 years old. Who hasn't seen it? Now, I will say, I, as a matter of fact, if you want to go back, I just put it up last night or this morning. I just put up the main, the main topic podcast this week, which was called Reboots, Remakes, and Sequels. And I go through each one and what the differences are, and how Hollywood is cashing in, and which ones are the popular ones. So we have another very popular remake coming out. And this one is Ocean's Eleven. So everybody remembers the one in the, the Rat Pack. Okay, so this one comes from Deadline. A new Ocean's Eleven film starring Margot Robbie is in, quote, active development, end quote, at Warner Brothers. Deadline can confirm. Four-time Emmy winner Jay Roach, who wrote Bombshell, is looking to direct the pick, which is not yet greenlit. While we hear that the film is scripted by Kerry Solomon, which will be set in Europe in the 1960s, further details with regard to its plot are being kept under wraps. Robbie and, and Tom Acne will produce for Lucky Chap, along with Roach, Michelle Graham for Everyman Pictures, Gary Ross, Olivia Milch, 
and Lucky Chaps, Josie McNamara will also executive produce along with Village Roadshow, which will may also co-finance the project. Warner Brothers is eyeing a production start of spring of 2023. Filmmaker Steven Soderbergh launched the Ocean's Heist franchise based on the 1960s Rat Pack pick with Ocean's Eleven back in 2001. The film starring George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Julia Roberts, Bernie Mac, who I also liked in it, grossed over $450 million worldwide. The success spurring additional titles, including Ocean's 12, which happened in 2004, Ocean's 13 in 2007, and 2008 Females Eccentric Ocean's 8, which I walked out of. <laughs> Robert is currently in business with Warner Brothers as the star of the upcoming film Barbie from director Greta Gerwin. The actress will be seen in the upcoming films, including David O. Russell's Amsterdam, Harvey Damien Chazelle's Babylon, Wes Anderson's Asteroid City, and Justin Cazell's Ruin. So, we have another Ocean's Eleven remake coming. Um, yeah, I walked out of Ocean's Eight. <laughs> I'll be honest, I, I tried so hard to like that movie. And I got about a third of the way through the picture and I just went, I can't do it. And, you know, it was just, you know, I look back on it now and I haven't seen it since. I got to, I think I got to the part where they were planning the heist. You know, you had one that was a tech and you had one that was like the beauty and just, I just, and I think the thing was that they attached Sandra Bullock's name to it. And I said, oh, you know, and everybody likes Sandra Bullock. I mean, she's an Academy Award winner. And I just went, I can't do it. Because, yeah, it was a heist movie, but at the end of the day, I just, I, I couldn't do it, you know. So, anyways, I'm very curious. I, you know what? Getting back to Ocean's 8, I think the reason why I didn't like it, and I think the reason why it could have worked better, is if they had had a cameo or even a flashback scene with, because in that movie, Sandra Bullock was supposed to be a sister of George Clooney. If they had had a couple flashback scenes or even a cameo of a Matt Damon or a Brad Pitt in there, it would have been more appealing. Anyways, so this one's getting made. What do you think about this news? It's actually, they're remaking Ocean's Eleven again. I feel like Hollywood's in crisis. <laughs> we talked about this before. Come on, it's like, yes. I think it's, I think that it's time for us to shake things off a little, you know, like, Maybe you should explore different writers and give some chance to other creative people. Stop doing so many remakes and reboots. What is wrong with the first one? It was good already. Move on. Like, why do we need to do like do it again? Why do we do it in remake? So to answer your question, and this is why Star Wars, every 20 years, they do another trilogy. It's because they know that they are going to get fans that are going to stay with them. But, okay, Star Wars is something. I think you become part of the family. But Ocean's Eleven, really? It's like, it's not. I, look, I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm just saying that here's the thing. When Ocean's Eleven came out in 2001, you didn't really have a lot out there, okay? And it hadn't been made for 41 years. People, I mean, everybody knows Sammy Davis Jr. and Frank Sinatra, but a lot of people, and I'm guilty of this too, I've never seen the original. But let me tell you, I was one of the first people to go see George Clooney and Brad Pitt and Matt Damon, and it was done well. Andy Garcia, and it was done well. So when the success of that hit, they went, oh, jackpot. Let's go make Ocean's 12. 
which by the way, is probably the weakest of the three. I mean, they tried to sprinkle in a couple new stars, but it didn't really work. Anyways, but that being said, because they're making it every 20 years, maybe you have a sister or a niece or a nephew or a cousin that is turned on by this franchise that go, oh, that was great. And they're going to go back and see it again. I'll give you an example. The Force Awakens, okay? And I actually brought this up in the podcast the other day, was made $800 million domestically, okay? It is the fourth, fourth all-time film ever worldwide behind Titanic, Avatar, and Avengers Endgame. And by the way, just ironically, as I said, James Cameron directed two of those, of the three. But, I mean, that's $5 billion he's made all by himself, you know, in box office. But the point is that you're getting a whole new generation of people. So if this is if, and this being the operative word, if it is good, then what you're going to see is people are going to come back for the next one. But, as you just said, the story has to be good. But we all know what the story is, right? So how are you going to tweak the story and make me care about the characters? That's the big thing. Because and I understand the first one is the introduction and everything else. But if I don't care about the characters and I don't care about the story, guess what? I don't care about the movie. So, you know, I'm really, it's one of those things. I don't know how you, I mean, what, what is she supposed to be? His stepsister? <laughs> I mean, seriously. And, and that's the other thing, too. Like, how many different iterations of this can you really do before it gets, I'll say this much. We know she's in it for sure. Let's see who the rest of the cast is. I just get very frustrated, I guess, when Hollywood seems to repeat. For me, it's it's a sign of tiredness and laziness when you try to repeat the same the same recipe. You know, like, oh yeah, this works. Let's just do that. Let's just put a bunch of famous names. We got like a good screenwriting to write a mediocre story that is good enough for we used to have this, it was called afternoon session. So it was like Around 2 p.m. in the most successful TV channel in Brazil is like whatever movie they put there. So it's a movie that would basically fill their their airtime from 2 to 4. So this is the typical type of movies that would be there. You know, like, yeah, it's blend enough for anyone to watch it and stop it. It's like, you know, when you're mindless eating, like you're just eating popcorn. You're not you're not hungry, but it's just yeah, it's convenient. It's entertaining to be chewing something like salty. For me, this is this movie is all about, you know, like. You're just chewing. It's like popcorn. You're just chewing, and it's fine. It's not. It's not. I'm not saying it's gonna be bad, but it's not inspiring for me. It's a sign of, dude, you're not being mindful. You know, you're just yeah. Let's just press this button here because people are gonna watch it because we're gonna have great names on it. And but did Sandra Bullock said she was gonna retire? I don't know, but I mean, it just doesn't. It doesn't. I guess having because and listen, the other thing too is in. By the way, I've seen Bombshell. It was good. It wasn't great. It was about the scandal that happened at Fox News. But the thing is that unless this story, and it really comes down to story once again, unless this story is compelling, then I don't care. And, and that's the thing. We always have the 1960 version. We always have the 2001 version. So this one will just line up. This one is going to be eventually... Many years down the road, this is going to be something like, okay, of, of this film, which one is the best? You're going to have the 1960 Rat Pack one. You're going to have the two. 
And that's what it's going to be. It's like the Batman movies. Which Batman was the best? You know, I don't care. And that you honestly, this is why you're seeing the media studios want to pick this up. Because Warner Brothers doesn't want to talk, touch it. Paramount doesn't. Because they know it's done. It's done. Even if you bring back a George Clooney or a Brad Pitt or whatever, it's still, it's a cameo. It's like something that happens in like Spider-Man. You know, it's a two-minute little bit and that's it. And that's what everybody's talking about. I don't care. So unless the story is that compelling, I don't care. Anyways. Hey guys, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast but don't know where to start? Let me tell you, it's easier than you think. I use Anchor.fm. It has all the tools to allow you to record and edit your podcasts from either your computer or your phone. And let me tell you, that's great when you have a busy work schedule like mine. It's got everything you'll need to make your podcast successful. And the best part is, it doesn't cost you a thing. It's totally free. When you host on Anchor, you'll get everything you need to distribute your podcast to a bunch of other platforms, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. So download the Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started. So, moving on from a heist to something to a little more out of this world, shall we say. So, John Watts is, for all those MCU fans out there, they know that John Watts directed three $1 billion Spider-Man movies. And he was all set to direct the Fantastic Four movie. And they were, they had a story lined up and, or they were going to. And so Disney, who owns Marvel and Star Wars, John Watts said, you know what? I think I'm going to take a break and go out while I'm ahead. Well, there was a reason why. So this comes from The Hollywood Reporter again. Spider-Man director John Watts to helm coming-of-age Star Wars Disney Plus series. John Watts is traveling to a galaxy far, far away. The Spider-Man trilogy director has created and will helm a new Star Wars series for Disney+. Vanity Fair reported in a Tuesday cover story about the sci-fi franchise upcoming offerings on a small screen. Still mostly under wraps, Watts series codenamed Grammar Rodeo, a reference to an episode of The Simpsons in which Bart and his classmates steal a car and run away for a week, was described in Vanity Fair as the tone of the classic Amelie coming-of-age adventure film from the 1980s. Watch show will take place closely after the events of Return of the Jedi, much as the same way as The Mandalorian, far from that time period. Watch will executive produce this series, along with writer Chris Ford, who penned Spider-Man Homecoming. The Star Wars news comes almost a month after it was announced that Watts was exiting Marvel's Fantastic Four. Making three Spider-Man films was an incredible and life-changing experience for me. I'm eternally grateful for having been a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe for seven years. I'm hopeful we'll work together again someday. I can't wait to see the amazing vision for Fantastic Four brought to life, Watts said at the time in a statement to The Hollywood Reporter. Said Marvel Studios President Kevin Feige, co-president Louis D'Esposito in a statement, Collaborating with John on the Spider-Man films has been a true pleasure. We were looking forward to continuing our work with him to bring the Fantastic Four to the MCU, but I understand and are supportive of his reason for stepping away. We are optimistic that we will have the opportunity to work together with him at some point down the road. It sounds to me, by the statement, I don't know about you, but it sounds to me like 
he kind of closed the door on Marvel and said, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Despite what it's happening to you, what do you think it means to him? Well, here's the thing. If he was all set to direct Fantastic Four, and he had that done, wasn't locked in, but somebody was dangling a carrot in front of him. I think Kathleen Kennedy was dangling a carrot in front of him and said, look, you directed three $1 billion films. Great. We're going to give you your own series now. And not only are we going to give you your own series, but you're going to have a lot of control over it. And it's evolutionary. The next step, obviously, is not as big as somebody like Feige. But at the same time, if you look in, if you read between the lines of that statement between Feige and D'Esposito, they were all planning on to have John Watts have him be the director of Fantastic Four because he did such a good job with Spider-Man. So I don't know. I mean... And I think, honestly, at the end of the day, and you will agree with me on this, I'm sure, it's about the money. It's about the money and the control. If you give me more money and control, then what I'm getting, you know, next door, guess what? I'm over to you. So, and I'll say one other thing. I think he wanted to try his chops at a smaller, episodal thing instead of a big screen, like 120-minute movie, because he's already done that. So I, I think it was a combination of things. Right now, he's one of the, the biggest and the hottest names out there. But I will say one other thing. I think people get a lot real. I mean, we got Obi-Wan coming up, Obi-Wan Kenobi coming up at the end of the month. And that's going to be huge. But I think people are really, really starting to get tired of Star Wars. Really. Because we just had the Rise of Skywalker a couple years ago. Then we had the Mandalorian. And now we've got this. And I think people are, all right, stop shoving it down our throats. We get it. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you get if so? If your favorite thing kept giving you content, giving you something like this, I mean, maybe not this franchise, but something else, wouldn't you get tired as a fan? I think so. We do get tired. You're right. Are you tired though? Because you're a very Marvel guy though. So I take your opinion very seriously because there are some people that are diehard fans and, and they are very reluctant to any kind of change. Even if it's a good one, in the very beginning, everyone is very resistant to it. <laughs> I mean, I will say this much. This Doctor Strange movie, and by the way, if you want to go back and listen to my Doctor Strange spoiler cast, go for it. I will tell you everything that you want to know about the movie, including all the spoilers. But to answer your question, I didn't care for Doctor Strange. I mean, I've seen it once. I want to go back and see it again. But there was a lot wrong with it. And one of the biggest points I bring up is the treatment of female characters. And... I mean, if you take a look at the female characters that in Marvel, and I said this in the, in the podcast, and I firmly believe this, Marvel has a serious, serious problem with their female characters because they treat them like crap. And the simple fact is, whether it's Black Widow, whether it's Scarlet Witch, whether it's Killing Lock Gamora in Endgame, whatever it is, they've got a serious problem. Now, couple that with the poor story Couple that with a lot of plot holes in Doctor Strange. Couple that with a lot of different things. Yeah, it made a half a billion dollars its opening weekend. But guess what? It was all right. It wasn't a Black Panther. It wasn't anything like that. But to get back to answering your question, is there fatigue? There's only fatigue, the small setting of fatigue, when you're only as good as your last movie. So mark my words, if Thor comes out, when Thor comes out on July 8th, in six weeks, and this blows the roof 
off everything. Because look, we know it's going to make money. That's not the issue. Okay. If this thing blows the roof off everything, they're right back in everybody's good graces. They're going to make their money. It's a matter of the story for them. And that was one thing Kevin Feige was really, really adamant about is there was too much shown in the trailers. Way too much. So I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a comeback of we're going to show you in what they're called as trailers or teasers. We're going to give you just enough to tease you and that's it. So that was the, the long answer to your question, but you're only as good as your last movie. It's so cruel, but it's so true. I feel like we tend to ignore people's historic and just remember the last thing that they do. I would feel so terrified. I don't know if terrified, but I would have like imposter syndromes afterward. Like, oh, if this one was so good, I think I would be scared to release a new one. Well, here's the thing. And I said this in the podcast the other night. There are so many movies that I can only count maybe five movies that are the sequels are better than the originals. And I mean, I'm sure they're out there. But these five, four or five, are hands down better than the originals. The Godfather 2, hands down better than the original. And The Godfather is a masterpiece. It's the top three on AFI's list, American Film Institute's list, behind Citizen Kane and Casablanca. That tells you something, okay? Empire Strikes Back, better than the original. Number one, because ILM was invented at this point. He used, Lucas used the money from Star Wars to put it in Empire, so you had better effects and everything else. And the story, Luke, I am your father. Nobody, it's, it's one of the top five best twists of all time. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody. The Dark Knight. And I know I'm naming comic book movies, but this is, this is, Nolan was, that's his master class. That's better than Memento. That's better than Inception. That's better than everything. Because the story was there. It was a combination of Heath Ledger as the Joker. It was a combination of the stunts. It was a combination of the love triangle. You had it all. Captain America Winter Soldier. Better than the original Captain America. Because the Russos, when they came in, you had the political thriller aspect of it. You had the love triangle. You had the action. You had everything going for it. So it's so difficult to make a sequel that is better than the original because the bar has been set. And at the end of the day, everybody has a bad day at the office. Everybody. And every single director has had a bad day at the office. <laughs> so... Even the great ones, like Spielberg, has had a bad day at the office. Nobody cares about War Horse. They all think about E.T. and Schindler's List. And I'm just naming two off the top of my head. So, the answer to your question, though, is you're only as good as your last movie. If When Thor comes out, if it comes out and it blows up and the story's great, we're going to all forget about this. As far as John Watts is concerned, he's moving on up, just like the Jeffersons. He's moving on up. Because this was big. This is bigger. So our final topic kind of threw me, I won't say threw me for a loop, but when I read it, I went, what? Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think Tom Cruise is one of the last movie stars we have today? No. Okay. Do you? No, no, I'm just curious. Do you think, so he's obviously one of the most powerful men in Hollywood, even though we talk about guys like Spielberg and Feige and everything else. Do you think he's one of the most powerful guys in Hollywood? No. Okay. Well, this story might change your mind because according to the Hollywood Reporter, Tom Cruise made a single phone call to Paramount and he got Top Gun Maverick greenlit. The prolific producer 
behind the original Top Gun, attempted to get a sequel off the ground once the Tony Scott helmed and Tom Cruise led film became 1986's biggest worldwide hit with $357 million in box office. But development never seemed to take off, and attention soon to be to other projects. Two plus decades later, Brockheimer and Scott recommitted themselves to the idea until Scott's tragic death in 2012. While development slowed down a bit, Brockheimer remained intent on bringing the sequel to fruition. And in 2017, the stars aligned as Cruz Oblivion director Joseph Kaczynski wowed everyone with his pitch for Top Gun Maverick. Joe had a lookbook, poster, and a title, Top Gun Maverick. And then he told Tom the journey of the character and he wanted the story to tell. Tom then looked at him, pulled out his phone, and called the head of Paramount at the time and said, I want to make another Top Gun. And that was it, Brockheimer told the Hollywood Report. Cruz's commitment to the project depended on a few conditions, namely the involvement of Val Kilmer. Those instincts proved to be correct as the film's reunion between Cruz's Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell and Kilmer's Admiral Tom Iceman Kaczynski had garnered glowing reactions at early screenings. Tom said, I'm not making the movie without Val. When we filmed it, it was a very emotional day having Val there and seeing him work with Tom 35 years later, Brockheimer said. The finishing touches of the film was Lady Gaga's original song, Hold My Hand. And when the Maverick Brain Trust first heard the track, they knew they had a build on it. We played it at Hans Zimmer's studio and Tom flipped. Hans loved it so much, he said, I'm going to take that melody and use it as a love theme in the movie. Brockheimer said. In a recent conversation with THR, Brockheimer also discussed the demanding training regimen the Maverick actors went through as he, as well as his passion for the process-oriented story. So, he's still obviously one of the most powerful guys in Hollywood. That he can just pick a phone up, call somebody, and say, yep, we're making this movie. <laughs> then again, I, dude, I think it's very obvious, not because it's Tom Cruise, but because we're just talking about how Hollywood is saying yes to all these reboots and all these shits. It's not like, I mean, I would say he's powerful if he picks up his phone and he tries to get approval to a very, very risky movie. Like something completely like people are not ready for that, Tom. Like Jesus Christ. But a reboot of Top Gun? Yeah, I mean, people are so lazy. Like, like that's what we've been talking about. They're lazy. It's like popcorn movie. They're going to say yes. Again, not contesting his power per se, but I feel like... I would definitely agree with you that he would be the most powerful guy in the room if he got approval for a very risky project, which this is not, clearly. So, yeah, you know, I agree with you to a certain extent, but I gotta say, and it's nothing to do about his power. I think Top Gun is one of, I mean, I think there are a few movies out there that deserve sequels. I mean... The other thing, too, and you're right, we were just talking about reboots, remakes, and sequels. And look, there, to your credit, there have been some films that have been made 30-some-odd years later and completely busted. And the one I always keep bringing up every single time is Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps. Because 1987, which is actually the next year after Top Gun was released, it was amazing. Because it, Oliver Stone was able to capture the essence of the time in Money you had great acting performances and Michael Douglas and Charlie Sheen and the story was compelling. And yeah, but the sequel was horrible and should have never. That's one of those sequels that should have never been made. That being said, I think Top Gun is one of those things where I think everybody, not everybody, the majority of people think this is long overdue. Now, 
what I have heard, and I haven't seen the movie, so I can't vouch for this, they're saying this is better than the original. Now, there are a couple of things here. Number one, there was over eight, we, we covered this a couple weeks ago, there was over 800 hours shot of footage. So number two, is the cinematography is that much better because they're able to put the cameras inside of the inside of the planes now. You have all of the actors are actually flying the planes. So it's not jet pilots doing it. I don't know. Now, maybe it is one of those sequels that is better than the original. That will have to be determined. But I just find it interesting that a guy can pick a phone up. I mean, he's been in the business for what, 40 1983, Risky Business came out. So next year, that is going to be the 40th anniversary of Risky Business. 40 years. Now, obviously, Top Gun was one of, he was in taps, you know, 84, 85. Top Gun just literally and figuratively shot him up the, the charts, and he never looked back. And by the way, speaking of Tom Cruise, we are going to be doing a Tom Cruise all uh, podcast. So we are going to be talking all about Tom Cruise. So get your top five or seven movies ready because we're going to be counting down what we think are his best movies. But yeah, I think this is going to be, once again, we always go back to story, right? If the story is good, then who knows? By the way, just on the off chance, have you heard the song by Lady Gaga? I have not. Okay, it's pretty good. I've only heard it once. I, I made it a point to actually watch the video. It's pretty good. Yeah. I got to say, pretty good. So I'm really... Now, once again, though, I got to say one thing. This is what a good trailer, teaser trailer does for you. Because there's only been one or two, I think. You see all of the classic shots. Okay? You see the, you know, the volleyball shot. You see the shot of him shooting down the, the motorcycle, down the runway. You see, you know him in the planes you see all this stuff so they're doing a couple of callbacks from the 1986 version kind of like what the force awakens did back in 2015 the first 15 minutes of that movie you watch that movie no i have not when i watch that movie if you watch star wars and you watch the force awakens the first 15 minutes carbon copies carbon copies because you don't if it's not broke don't fix it so i'm curious I'm curious to see how this movie is. Look, film's subjective. You may hate Top Gun. I'm not saying I do either. It was, matter of fact, I'll probably go watch it prior to actually going to see Maverick. But it's another movie. So I just found it interesting that he could still pick up a phone and 35 years later, regardless of who the president of Paramount is, and call the president of Paramount, not some lackey or get a secretary. Oh, yeah, I'll call you. To pick up and get the head of paramount and say we're gonna make this movie and he greenlit it i'm zero surprised by that i'm i'm surprised that you're surprised but that but the fact being is they didn't have to do it there was only no one has to do it anything but it doesn't have to do with like like i said in in the beginning it's not a risky decision there's no risks like really involved in this because they know it's gonna be successful in a way they know it. Tom Cruise usually just bring like his fans to the movie too, so I'm not surprised at all. He is a better. Everybody knows him for his action, and we'll get into more about this next week. But all I'll say is this: he's everybody knows him for his action. He is a much better dramatic actor than people give him credit for. And forget about sci-fi; he's horrible in sci-fi. 
And part of that's the story and whatever else. But he is a much better dramatic actor than he is action. Whether you take Steel Magnolias, whether you take an Academy Award-nominated performance in Born on the Fourth of July, whether it was Rain Man, whether it was even Hell, even with Jerry Maguire. But everybody knows from, from Top Gun and all these other movies. So we'll talk about that next week. So next week, we do have Top Gun movies coming out, or Top Tom Cruise movies coming out, and we will have this vivid debate about what we think is good and, and what we think is horrible. So if you, I'm just right now, your one favorite, if you had to choose one favorite Tom Cruise movie, I know there's so many, I'm putting you on the spot. What is it? I think it would be Top Gun. But it's just like, for me, it's what's like, I can never forget the scene of him playing volleyball. So I don't know, some Mission Impossible 2 was pretty good. But I think I met Tom Cruise in Top Gun. And that stuck with me. So for me, it's always the first association that I have. Wow. We'll definitely have to hear more about that. When was, when is, was, was 1993, you said? No, 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 1986. 86. 1986 is when Top Gun was made or was released. Yeah, I was born in 1987, right? Okay. So it says a yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm thinking, well, I got to be honest with you. I loved Rain Man. I absolutely, 1989 Rob Reiner film, loved Rain Man. I mean, and yes, you've got the character, but the chemistry between Dustin Hoffman and him, it was palpable. It was unbelievable. Of course, Dustin Hoffman ended up winning his second Academy Award for that role. But so, yes, stay tuned next week. We will definitely be doing Tom Cruise movies and we'll. That's going to be a blast. All anticipation for Top Gun Maverick. So we will be doing a spoiler cast, or I will be doing a spoiler cast. I don't know if she'll be joining me for that, but I'll definitely be doing a spoiler cast for that. So stay tuned for that. And then in the coming weeks, we will have another big movie in Jurassic Park, Dominion. So do you like dinosaurs? Such a random question, because I like the idea of them. I don't know if I like them. You know? Like- okay. For me, it's like, yeah, right? It's like, how do you like something that only exists in your freaking imagination in history books? Yeah. So actually, the second week in June, well, actually, the week before, we're actually going to be doing Steven Spielberg movies. So that will might even bring up Jurassic Park then. So, yeah, so we got June 10th. We've got Jurassic Park Dominion, which closes out the trilogy of that new Jurassic World set of movies. Then in July, we have... July 8th, we have Thor, Love and Thunder, which is going to make gazillions of dollars. But how is the story going to be? We'll find out about that. And then we have a couple of other movies coming down the, the pipeline. Don't forget, tomorrow I'll be dropping the next episode of Flashback Friday. This upcoming week, we're going to be doing Thor. And then the week after that, we got Captain America, First Avenger, and then the big one. The end of phase one is going to be all about the Avengers, where Anne and I will talk about that. So, until that point, I'm David Steele. I'm Eloaura. And you have been listening to Real Talk.